0: Welcome to This Is You podcast episode number eight. We are talking about making diets work today. This is Carol Yu
1: and Scott Stewart.
0: Today we are going to talk about the top 10 hangover cures from around the world. Also, we are going to be talking about Scott's restaurant behind the scenes. He's worked in the restaurant business for quite a long time. He has a lot of good gossip. We are going to also talk about our own paths through making diets work and what has worked for both of us.
1: And what hasn't worked. That's true. Because there's been a lot of them over the years, ladies and gentlemen, a lot.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Okay, let's get to the first thing here is our top 10 hangover cures from around the world. Number 10, Italy, they use coffee. Hmm. Number nine is the French and they use coffee and salt. What does
0: that mean? They put salt in their coffee?
1: Exactly. Oh. It's kind of a good idea when you think about it because when you're drinking and throwing up and that kind of stuff, oh. you lose a lot of salt. Those French, they're smart. Bon, bon, bon. Number eight are the Chinese, and this one would make Carol's mom very, very happy. Strong green tea. Carol's mm-hmm. mom recommends strong green tea for just about anything Does she? mouthwash, washing <laughs> the car, giving your pet an enema, all oh. of the above. Number seven, America, egg yolk, and Worcestershire sauce. Mmm, gonna pass on that. Number six, our friends up in Iceland, they use water, honey, and cider vinegar. Mm.
0: Hmm, that sounds very familiar to something we might be talking about in a little bit.
1: Polish people, coming in at number five, they use sour pickled juice. Number four are the British. They use baked beans, eggs, bacon, and sausage. I think that's just wake up and have some breakfast in that particular situation. Number three are our Germanic friends. They use mustard berries, juniper berries, and pickled herring. Mm, Mmm, yum. I guess the uh, pickled herring industry had big lobbyists out in the market at that point. How can we sell more pickled herrings? I don't know. Get people with hangovers to eat them. Brilliant. Number two is from the country that brought you Dracula, Romania. They use cow's stomach, root vegetable soup, cream, and vinegar.
0: If I had to eat cow's stomach, root vegetable soup, cream, and vinegar, I don't think I'd even drink in the first place.
1: And the number one top 10 hangover cures from around the world go to the forward-thinking Dutch. They use beer. I think the idea there is just to stay drunk, people. Stay (laughs) drunk. You never get a hangover. Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: Now, the next section we'd like to talk about is being nice to your waiter. Now, there are reasons to be nice to your waiter. And we've got a quote. I mean, people are probably familiar with this. If you're out on a date, ladies or guys, the person you're with is really nice to you and they're friendly and they're engaging, but they're an asshole to the waiter. Probably time to move on. But to me, that's not the real reason. The real reason is I've worked in a ton of restaurants and I've come across my share of whackadoodle a doodle waiters. If you're a waiter of any substance. When you go to a table and there are jerks to you, you don't sort of just cow down and, and listen to them, yes, sir, I'm sorry, sir, yes, sir, no problem, sir, yes, sir. You go in the back and you mess with their food. I wasn't really a fan of that. I didn't really do that because I didn't really have too many problems with people because of the way I dealt with them. But there were a lot of waiters that were kind of way out there and they would mess with their food. If you're thinking of being lippy, indignant, you just think you got to get that smart ass coming across to the waiter or you got to make them do jumps through hoops, you might want to think that. Again,
0: Scott, what is one of the worst things that ever happened to you? Do you you have something that someone said to you that was really obnoxious or give us an example? Oh yeah,
1: people are just idiots. I mean, people on dates, because the guy's trying to show off to the girl, then it becomes about a power situation. In my waiting career, I learned that early on, so I never really challenged the guy on the date, so I never had a lot of problems with that. I mean, just through girls in tears from tables going to town on them, people telling you they ordered this, you bring it to the table and they go, I never ordered that. I'd like to talk to the manager, all that kind of shit. Except the thing is what they generally forgot was I wrote it down so that if that issue ever happened, I would just show the manager that's what they ordered. Steak, well done. It just gets to be something you roll with in your day-to-day travels as being a waiter.
0: Scott's going to give you some
1: restaurant behind the scenes. Guys, I've worked, as I said, in the restaurant business for years and years and years. And putting this podcast together today, we started thinking about food, diets. Then I just started going down memory lane. Down memory lane. Down memory lane. I just started kicking out all these ideas of crazy things that had happened to me in different restaurants over the years. And I thought, you know what? I'd like to share those with you guys. They are in no particular order, and there's stuff I've forgotten, and there's probably stuff that I shouldn't be saying with people's names, but what are you gonna do? So I used to work in Toronto at this restaurant called Santa Fe. And at the time, it was super hot, and it was populated by this chef named Chris. He was a, an amazing chef, but he was a super hothead, and he would freak out on people. At that time, I had just come into the restaurant. There was established crew there. So they all had been working a long time. And I was the new guy on board. This Chris guy, he would yell at the waiters, but he was a great chef and it brought lots of people in and brought lots of money into the restaurant. So they let him be. This one time I had in my hands, I had two dishes and the kitchen was in the basement and we had to go up a flight of stairs and there was a bar and then another flight of stairs and it would take you up to the restaurant. And this place was super hopping. So it was always packed with people. So this, One time I'm getting these plates, they ding me. I run down to the kitchen, I grab the plates, and on one hand, I've got a bowl of soup. And on the other hand, I've got a big giant white plate with chicken mole on the plate. So there's a mole sauce, which is super slippery, and then two chicken breasts on top of it. I start running up these stairs, going to town, trying to get up to table 14. I'm running, I'm running, and I catch the top stair on my left foot. Now I'm suddenly airborne, and I'm flying into the middle of the bar. I hit the bar. I don't want to drop the plate, so I don't let go of the plates because there'd be a huge crash. I hit the ground, smash my elbows on the ground. I look at the chicken and the chicken just comes alive and with the slipperiness of the mole sauce, slides across the plate, hits the bar floor, slides across and hits some guy in the foot. And I look up and it's this Chris guy. Everything in the bar goes dead quiet, everyone's staring at me. Then they stare at Chris to see what the hell was going to happen. Chris breaks out in huge laughter. I take a deep breath, get up, run back to the kitchen and get it all prepped up and take it back up to the table. And I kept my job. Wow, thank goodness. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And then another time, we used to have this guy, a uh, busboy named Jamie, Jaime. And he was a crazy guy because he had walked all the way from El Salvador. To the restaurant? To the restaurant, to Toronto, Canada. Over, I I don't even know, it was months and months and months, but he made his way to Toronto and he was this kind of fun, just go, go, go guy, but he was sort of lazy. Don't think he's lazy if he walked from El Salvador to Toronto. Well, I think he was tired. I think what happened was he was allotted a certain amount of energy and he had used it all up on the walk because when he got to Toronto, he was tired and he would just kind of meander and go slow, but no one really complained about him. Anyway, We got these beers on our shifts and he would get his beer and he'd put it up on the shelf and we would always take Tabasco hot sauce and pour it down the throat of his beer so then he'd be running around, he'd get really hot and then he'd go and take a big gulp out of the beer and he'd be like, oh, you guys, cut it out, crazy guys. Next, we move on to Shopsy's, which was a landmark hot dog restaurant in Toronto, Canada. We used to get a lot of celebrities in there. A couple of my favorites and a couple of stories were, I had Mr. Spock in there, which was awesome. He had the deepest voice ever, like when he spoke, I'll have a scotch, and it just resonated. We also had Eartha Kitt, who was Catwoman on the original Batman TV series. The main general manager of the store was super cheap. He worked for the corporation, and he was super cheap. Eartha Kitt came in with the band, and he said, make sure none of those band guys drink any of the high-end drinks. Just give them beer. So I go over, and I'm like, um, yes, can I get you something to drink? And they all ordered like double shivus on the rocks, super expensive drink. Eartha Kitt, I think, had a glass of water and she had her little dog in her lap. She just kept petting while all the guys in the band just got toasted. The best story that I have out of there was, so Led Zeppelin had broken up and Robert Plant was now on his own and he was touring and he was in Toronto and he was playing at Maple Leaf Gardens. So he comes in this one afternoon. At the time, we had this chef called Hans. He was this Austrian guy, kind of a whiner, like he complained a lot. Because I think basically what it was, was it was a corporate job that he took. I mean, he was doing hot dogs and corned beef sandwiches. So it was like, why am I stuck here? Anyway, he used to whine a lot and nobody really liked him. So he asks Wayne, this sophisticated gay waiter who let everything roll off his back. He was awesome. Hans asks Wayne, hey, Wayne, can you get me an autograph of Robert Plant? So Wayne's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Wayne goes down into the front part of the restaurant where you couldn't really see from the kitchen. That's where Robert Plant was. He went a couple of tables down from Robert Plant and he signed with his own handwriting to Hans. Best of luck, Robert Plant. And then he came back, gave it to Hans and we were all laughing behind our backs on that.
0: Did Hans ever figure it out?
1: No, he never did. He probably sold it on eBay and everyone's like, nah, that's not Robert Plant. This other time, we had these two drunk guys come into my section and they sat down and they ordered a roast beef sandwich, which is pretty normal, like a beer and a roast beef sandwich. I bring over the roast beef sandwich and I drop it down on their table. Now, the thing with our roast beef sandwiches were they were really, really thick. They used to put these super long toothpicks through the roast beef sandwiches. I drop it off and I start walking away back towards the kitchen. And a little thing in my head starts going, you know what? I should go back and tell that guy. He's not going to know that that' is oh, just going to no. take a bite into it. Kind of meander my way back to his table and I look over at him and he's making this really weird face like he's in pain and then he reaches in his mouth and he's drunk so everything's like in slow motion so he reaches into his mouth and he pulls out this toothpick in like six or seven pieces that he had just bitten into and I'm surprised it didn't go right through the roof of his mouth. There was also this girl that worked this morning breakfast scam that I think is pretty interesting and pretty genius when you think about it up until the point she got caught. She worked there for years so she probably driving a Ferrari by the time she uh, finished up with the scam. What what she would do was because in the morning people are really routine, it's like a cup of coffee, two pieces of bacon, two eggs, and toast. So it was the same order order after order after order. She would print up one order and use that order on all these successive customers. They'd all have the same food. So she'd only put one bill down per each table. So she collected all the money, but she only had to close out the one table. Genius. Oh, the other thing is, whenever I'm having stress dreams at this point in my life, I always flash back in my dreams to working in section five and six at Shopsy's Restaurant. And it always goes the same way. The section is way too big. There's way too many people people. I'm the only waiter. I keep asking, shouldn't there be other waiters working? It's kind of one of those dreams. So I do have a little bit of a nightmare after working in shopsies. The next place is called Licks. And this was a hamburger place I didn't work at, but it was a very popular hamburger place in Toronto. And the one that I'm talking about is on Yonge Street, south of Dundas. And it was on the east side. You went in the front door and on the left-hand side, they had the cash registers and everything there. And then on the right-hand side, there was a big giant staircase that went all the way upstairs. And that's where all the seating was. So you would order your food, get your food, and then walk up these, I don't know, 50 steps all the way up to the top. And that's where you would eat. This was when I was really into U2 and wanted to look like Bono. So I bought These suede rocker boots with a big heel on them and a super pointy toe, and I wore them around. They were super uncomfortable, but I tried to look cool in them. I'm in tight pants, a leather jacket. I order a large drink fries and a hamburger and they give it to you on those plastic trays that everything seems to slide all over i get my order and i start going up the stairs and i get about halfway up the whole of the restaurant is jam-packed with people waiting in line they're just kind of staring around this is before cell phones so everyone actually had to engage in the world and they would look around i get about halfway up the stairs and i catch my left toe on one of the stairs so i start to fall It's that thing where it's going in slow motion and I'm running up the stairs and I know I'm going to fall and I can't make it. And then, ba-boom! I just wipe out on the stairs. There's a big commotion. My drink spills. Everything goes all over me. Everyone's watching me. The drink just goes all over me and then starts going down the stairs. And it's one of those things where everyone applauds and you just melt in a pool of shame. I couldn't get the hell out of there quick enough. The next story comes from a place I worked at called Alice Fazuli's. There was a guy named Rick and he was an interesting guy. He was a funny guy and not funny in the comical sense, funny in the in the sense that you, you would look at him and kind of laugh. Not with him, more at him. He's in this one room and they had these different areas and they had these beautiful glass goblets for lighting up on the ceilings. Big giant, probably two feet across, all beautifully blown glass. Custom orders a bottle of champagne. He goes to the table and he's standing there and he's just doing his little waiter spiel. And you know, that's when I went skiing and blah, 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 blah. He's not really paying attention to what he's doing. The court gets away from him and goes shooting across this particular room and hits one of the glass goblet lights and explodes. And there's this big, huge bam and glass comes down and all kinds of people. Nobody was killed. I think he still worked after that just because it was such a weird thing. But then we had safety meetings about that just went on forever and ever. Now, the next place we're talking about is Mr. Green Jeans. It was a very popular restaurant in Toronto. There was two locations. The one I'm talking about was across the street from Second City. This happened on a Halloween and I was a busboy at this point. What had happened was someone came in, there was a bar and a restaurant. And in the bar, they drank way too much. On Halloween Eve and they threw up all over the table on the seat and it went all over the floor and it was a tile floor. So the manager yells at me, go in there and find out what's going on. And it was busy. So I go running in there and I go sliding through the vomit and I fall. My legs just go out from underneath me and boom, I hit the ground. Yeah, not so much fun. Now we go to a place in Manhattan Beach called Cafe Pierre. I used to work with this girl named Jill And Jill had a very thoughtful dad. The dad thought for Jill's 18th birthday that he would buy her a set of fake boobs. He did. Oh my gosh. So Jill had these very firm very firm. Did I mention they were firm? So Jill had very fake firm breasts. When you're in the weeds at a restaurant, I don't think anybody except other waiters know that when you're in the weeds, it's just mayhem. Everything's out of control. You're running like a chicken with its head cut off. I'm running around a corner one way. Jill's running around a corner the other way. Boom, Jill and I run into each other. That's the night I found out that Jill had very firm, fake boobs. She hit me so hard in the chest, it knocked the wind out of me and I had to take a knee and catch my breath. Everyone's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just. And, and Jill's just like, fine. She just bounced back and away she went. The other thing, she used to stand right behind me at the cash register when we were putting our orders in. So when I was done, I'd like bolt off to a table and you don't see the person right behind you. The amount of times that I banged into Jill and then we both banged into the wall behind her and then Jill with her very firm fake boobs bounced into my back and catapulted me forward. The next place was a place called Matisse named after the painter and it was a place over on Third Street Promenade here in Santa Monica. One of the things that happens is customers come in, they'll order some food and for whatever reason, they won't eat it all. There's a lot of waste. Sometimes as a waiter, you're doing these long shifts, you get really hungry and what we used to do is when someone... Someone ordered order a pizza, they'd maybe have a bite out of the pizza. And then you go, are you done? And they would go, yes. And then you would take it in the back. They were in the middle of a conversation, so they weren't really paying attention to what's going on. You take it in the back and you're like, oh, there's like one piece of pizza missing from this pizza. So you go, well, I'm going to have a piece of pizza. It's just going to go in the garbage. A couple of the waiters would be standing around and we'd be chewing on this pizza. And then you'd go back out to the table, anything else for and then the people would go, yeah, I'd like to get my pizza to go. And you would just have that horror look on your face, but you try and cover it up and go, sure. Oh, be right, back with your, your, your pizza. <laughs> he's right. So then we'd run in the back and we would take bread and we would put it in with the pizza in tinfoil and then we would disguise it in these big tinfoil swans. We would try and divert their attention with this big tinfoil swan because like once they got home and they opened up, they're not really going to come back and complain to us. So it worked like a charm. And then finally at this restaurant, Matisse, I had this guy, he's a businessman, he's in by himself. He has his meal and he's like, what's good for dessert? And I'm like, oh man, you got to try our creme it is so good so I go on and on about this creme brulee I have had it all over the city but our creme brulee is amazing so he's like yeah okay yeah sure I'll try the creme brulee I run in the back At that point, we had to caramelize our own creme brulees. So we would get a creme brulee out of the fridge, then we would take it over to the sugar station, put sugar on it, we'd have a blowtorch and caramelize it and then take it back out to the customer. So it took a little bit of time. Here I am, I'm caramelizing this guy's creme brulee and I'm having a lot of trouble with it, but I'm super busy, I'm probably in the weeds again. So I get it caramelized, I take it back out to him, I drop it off and I'm like so excited. I'm, I'm all proud of myself. So enjoy that creme brulee, sir. He goes, I certainly will. So then I run around to a bunch of tables and I come back over to the creme brulee. So I come back over to the creme brulee guy and I say to him, excuse me, sir, how is the creme brulee? And he says, you know, it's a little salty. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, a little salty? That's weird. So I run back in the kitchen. We have these giant bins of sugar and salt right beside each other. And apparently a new guy had switched the two bins. I took a ton of salt and put it on his creme brulee and then tried to caramelize it and then sell it to the guy. So then I go running out and um, I tell him what happened and then switch it out and then we move on from there. But it was a little bit of a um, bonehead move on my side of things. Okay, the final restaurant. Here we go. The best for last. H2O in uh, Manhattan Beach. At that time, it was the hopping place to be. I always try and worked at the busy places because obviously you made more money. And we used to have hockey players come in there. Kobe Bryant came in before he got to be a huge celebrity. This one night, I'm looking out this one window across the street and there's a parking structure. I see about five or six guys across the street and they're staring back at our garbage dumpster area. And they're like giving it cat calls like, Woo, come on, baby, woo, woo. And they're joking around and stuff. And I'm like, What the hell is that? Like, what's in the dumpster area? I decide to go out and see what the hell's going on. So I go out into the dumpster. Area. If you don't work in restaurants, I'll just give you an idea of what it is. It's gross. It's an outdoor area filled with grease and slime and everything that's just horrible about a restaurant gets dumped in this area. Then it gets moved into the dumpsters and away it goes. When the dumpsters come back, they're always dropping crap all over the floor. It's a horrible little gross area. So I poke my head into this area to have a look around and there's a guy leaned up against the wall with his pants down and a girl is giving him a blowjob. Mom, dad, Tell me about the time when you guys met.
0: Okay, now we're going to talk about making diets work. So Scott, tell me about when you were young. Did you have to watch your weight much?
1: I didn't, Carol. I ate like a machine, but I didn't eat very well. I was a poor white child living in Toronto by myself. I had to eat the cheapest stuff. I used to eat cream of wheat. I'd buy a box of that. I remember I ran into Mike Myers on Queen Street in Toronto. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I'd just been eating cream of wheat for months. And he remarked how much weight I had lost in a short period of time. Anyway, at that time, I was eating a lot of Big Macs. And then I finally figured out over probably years of doing that, that how crappy I felt after I ate a Big Mac. So basically, my understanding was that, hey, garbage in, garbage out. And I remember years later that I talked to my friend Gord about this and explained to him, it's about having an awareness and paying attention to how you feel after you consume food.
0: Well, I guess I can also understand that because when I was a child, I was a sweetaholic. And I remember when I was growing up, I would steal candy from my mom's food pantry. She had this pantry that had a large sliding door and there on the third shelf at the very back, she would hide boxes of candy and sweets that she would get as gifts. And I would sneak in there and try to eat something and hide it and not have her be able to see (laughs) that I had stolen something. And then you know how you take a a chocolate from a box of chocolates and then you take the paper out, but you kind of make everything move, you move everything around. So it looks like none's gone. Right, I would do that kind of stuff. So, Sneaky. Mm-hmm. Ah,
1: so I got to watch you now.
0: Fortunately, we don't have boxes of chocolate and candies in our pantry as we used to when I was growing up.
1: Says you. When
0: I was in middle school, on Saturdays, I was in the South Bend Youth Symphony, and I played the cello. I would so look forward to going to South Bend Youth Symphony because there would be a break, and I would take 50 cents with me, and I would get to go to the vending machines, which was such a huge, fun thing because, of course, my family, we ate ate very healthy Chinese food, and never had junk food. We never had chips or cookies in our house. If we had cookies, it was only something my mom had made or pavlova, as I've talked about in a previous podcast. But middle school Saturdays were really fun from seventh to ninth grade. I always got to go and spend 50 cents at the South Bend Youth Symphony building and eat my I can't remember. Probably it was a marathon bar. Do you remember Remember those?
1: I know of them just from the American commercials, but that was not my jam.
0: They were so good. In college also, I remember I would go to the vending machines again whenever I was having my exams and I would go and pick up all the candy bars, Snickers, Heath bars, and Mars bars. Those were my favorites. Every now and then, I would get a one pound box of chocolate and finish off the whole thing In one sitting. Yum. Yeah. (laughs) Would you ever do that?
1: Did that come with zit medicine?
0: I didn't have it. I was really lucky. I didn't have zits when I was growing up. Every now and then I'd have maybe one or two. And of course, they would show up before your uh, school pictures, right? They would show up the day before your school photos. But I really never had to watch my weight when I was growing up.
1: The next thing I want to talk about is the master cleanse. This to me was a diet that I did for 10 days. For you guys that aren't initiated, it's lemon, water, and maple syrup. That's all you drink for basically as long as you can do it i think 10 days is is the ideal time i did it again for i think 7 days and then one day one time i did it for 4 days
0: what do you think is the philosophy behind that because lemon and water and maple syrup basically seems like water with a little bit of taste in it
1: yeah but there's a lot of maple syrup in it i mean there's a certain amount of lemon maple syrup proportion to the water okay in my particular situation i just focused on it i was able just to grasp the concept and not think about it just move it forward day by day, by day, by day. And it was really difficult because at that time I was working as a waiter, running around a lot. The thing I remember about it was on day eight, I dreamed that I ate a hamburger Mm -hmm. and I woke up in the morning and I was all disappointed with myself because I thought I ruined my master cleanse. Uh. The takeaway from this was for me, because you're without food for such a long period of time, once you stop, they do tell you to transition slowly into eating food. And I did. But the awareness was of how putting food into your body after this because at this point my body's empty of food, putting food into your body gives you such a specific effect. And when you think of it, they're chemicals. You're putting chemicals into your body and you're gonna react a certain way. So my awareness was heightened during this whole process. That was my takeaway. And it started the ball rolling in outside of this master cleanse, too, just in, in general travels, how I would put certain types of food in my body and how my body would react to the point now where I I'm just looking at my notes here, and it's such a crazy ride from When I used to eat Big Macs to now, I just had a smoothie with hemp seed, flax seed, spirulina, turmeric, banana, strawberry, blueberries, spinach, a little bit of orange juice, and almond milk.
0: That sounds way too healthy.
1: It is. That's why I just ordered us a box of donuts. Let's get busy with them donuts. Okay,
0: woohoo. Yeah. Back when I was 40 years old, my late husband got cancer, and I needed to control something because that rest of my life was out of control. So every single day I started during that time, writing on a small piece of paper, my weight. Every morning I would get up and I would write it down and then pin it back onto the refrigerator. I did that straight for about three years. And it just felt like that was the only thing that I could control. And I would every day be obsessive over whether I gained 0.25 of a pound mm-hmm. or I lost one. And it actually would make me feel better if I could see what was happening and have it on the refrigerator. I was looking for a way to lose weight and feel better about myself so that I could be confident and fit into my clothes. I didn't want to spend a lot of money on clothes at that time. We didn't have a lot of money. So I really tried to be aware of keeping the clothes that I had. The first time I went on a diet was also a cleanse, something something like your master cleanse, but it wasn't just the lemon water and maple syrup. It was actually a juice cleanse that All of us, you, me, and Dara, our youngest daughter, had decided we were going to do. So how did we get that? juicer. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, we looked on Craigslist and I went out and contacted a lady and I think we bought it for $75 and brought it home. The thing is with juicers is that people get all excited. They buy it on late night TV for like $512, 42 payments of thirty-nine fifty-two, And you get it home <laughs> eventually and you get excited and you do it for about two weeks and then you're done with it. So we basically picked up a brand new juicer.
0: The three of us went to a grocery store and we filled up an entire cart with just all kinds of fruits and vegetables, kale and beets and spinach, all types of fruits. We decided we were going to use this new juicer and make our own juices. We thought we were going to all do it for five days, try to get a lot more vegetable, minerals, and vitamins in us. In the end, Dara did it for half a day. I think, Scott, how many did, How many days did you last? Yeah, two days. And I lasted five days. That ended up costing us, I'd say, $2 signs. It was a little bit expensive because we had to purchase the juicer the cost of all of the vegetables. So that was the first diet that I had.
1: I think the takeaway from that particular scenario, Kara, if I remember correctly, is in your brain, you've got to be ready to go on your journey, your diet, because if you're not, it just gets washed out in the rain. And I think that's what happened to Dara and I. We just weren't ready. Where You you stuck with it more so than we did. And it was, it was a hard journey, that particular juice diet. Kelly Clarkson has revealed she lost 37 pounds and she's crediting it to a diet based on Dr. Stephen Gundry's best-selling book, The Plant Paradox, which nixes gluten as well as other lectins, a type of protein that is also found in many vegetables, fruits, nuts, and more. This Dr. Gundry, he himself lost 80 pounds, and I'm just starting to explore this myself, so I just thought I'd get the shout-out there to you guys. I'm always interested in improving myself in new ways of approaching uh, age-old problem of dieting. One of his components is this no lectin, which is found in tomatoes and a bunch of other things. And I've just been reading recently too that Tom Brady says he's off tomatoes because tomatoes cause inflammation. So I've knocked that out of my diet. Plus I'm gonna explore it more and see what I can come up with because there are a lot of items that you, you want to remove from your diet, even if it's just for a short period of time, but that's what I'm working on right now.
0: I have another press juicery juice diet that I did for, maybe I think I did it three times. I really like pressed juicery, They have really delicious juices. I would give it a five out of 10 in terms of difficulty. It really wasn't too difficult. You just go to the store and buy the juice. But it was $3 signs because it was expensive. It was $26.50 a day, which means for three days, it would be about $80 with tax. I loved it. So when it was $20 a day, that's when I would allow myself to do the pressed juicery juice diet. Especially, I love the vanilla almond and chocolate almond drinks. They were just like milkshakes. Yum. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, that is getting kind of expensive. So I thought, well, let's try the Suja juice cleanse from Costco. I give that a five out of 10 in terms of difficulty because it is also just going to the store, picking it up, and buying it. But it became expensive too. I thought, well, it's from Costco, so maybe it's not that expensive. It ended up being $99 for three days. So it really wasn't very economical. And it actually wasn't very delicious. It was kind of watery. I'd rather do the pressed juicery juice diet.
1: Sustainability is so important in my world when it comes to dieting. It's so easy to get it up in your head where it's like, oh, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that for a period of however long it takes me. But ultimately, it really boils down to, am I able to sustain this new way, this new approach, this new lifestyle that I am pursuing? Routine is so important for me to help me sustain over a long period of time. For me, I just like to get into a situation with exercise and food where I don't even have to think about it. I just do the research, make all the good decisions ahead of time, and then just make it about the day in, the day out routine. Just remember, guys, it's like Bill Murray in What About Bob? Baby steps.
0: Lindsay Vaughn said, life changes very quickly in a very positive way if you let it. In the past, I would stay on these diets for maybe three days, five days, and it wasn't really a change of lifestyle. It was something that was a quick fix. And I thought that these very quick three to five day diets would be something to kickstart my continued dieting. However, they never really worked. When you are able to change your life in a positive way, if it sticks, then you will actually continue. One thing, Thing that I have found that helped me is I started something called the 21-day sugar detox by Diane Filippo, And the difficulty level, I would say is an eight out of 10. It's a little bit difficult because you actually have to make all your food. You can buy some foods from the store, but nothing can be packaged. Nothing can have any sugar in it. And you have to use other items such as cocos, can't even eat honey or milk maple syrup, carob, and other items that don't have sugar. On that diet, I actually came to eat almost every day. I would make these wraps. I would make a BLT. Yes, I would do a BLT. I was trying to think. I was trying to think. Yeah, that's how those letters go together. BLT. BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato. Instead of it wrapped or on a piece of bread, I would have it wrapped in a piece of lettuce. And I could use mayonnaise. So you get the saltiness, you get the creaminess from mayonnaise, you get everything except the carbs. The theory behind that is that carbs turn into sugar, and that's not good for your brain and your body. 21 day sugar detox, I did it for about 50 days, and I ended up losing about 15 pounds. Then I tried her next book, which was Keto Quick Start, Diane Sanfilippo. At that time, I was not in the right frame of mind. So I ended up not doing the whole keto. It basically was the same as the 21 day sugar detox. However, it talked about ketosis and getting your body into ketosis. Keto diet is a lot about eating a lot of fats and taking the fat, and putting it into your diet instead of sugars. I find I like that. I like that I'm not eating sugars. I like that you can eat bacon, you can eat meat, but you can't eat sweets. As I said at the beginning, I'm a real sweetaholic. I needed to figure out a way that I could do a diet with some sweetness. I did find, however, when I did the sugar detox and the keto that my skin changed. I used to have a lot of issues with my skin. I would have, even into my fifties, I would have a lot of zits and breakouts. And it was really embarrassing. I had a lot of um, redness in my skin. I actually had to go to a dermatologist for that. And it all resolved once I finished and stopped eating sugar. I also slept better without the sugar. And also my mood was better. Scott could always tell. I still can. He can still tell if I've had sugar, if I've had, you know, Girl Scout cookies or chocolate, and my job is very difficult. Now I I work at a company where we have samples all day long and we sell candy. And if I eat that, then the next day I am definitely bitchy and moody. So everything I have figured out now is that the best diet for me is something that is within me. I need to be able to take upon myself to get in a frame of mind that I'm going to not eat sugar. What I've learned from all of these different diets is I have to watch my food intake, the types of food I have to exercise. I have healthy competition with Scott because he and I always have had competition together in different areas. What do
1: you mean different areas? You mean every area.
0: Anyway, so the last part about what I need to watch is also my mental state, my mental diet. So I realized the best thing for me over these years of trying to really have a good body image and to really be positive about myself is this is for me what's worked. I need to one, I need to cut out sugar, I need to eat smaller portions. So Scott and I have been doing that recently. We used to go out, say for uh, 800 degrees, we would each get, a pizza, which would be maybe a eight or 10 inch pizza, and we would each get a salad. And we would both finish all of that. In the last few months, now when we go, we will share one pizza and share one salad. Fortunately, at 800 degrees, they'll let you split the pizza because I'm not going to eat the olives that Scott eats on his. Cutting out sugar, eating smaller portions, exercising. I have little tricks. For example, I will park on the far side of the parking lot at Target so that I can walk a few hundred more steps. I do track my steps. I did do Noom for a while and that was really good. It was based on a psychological training and you would actually have a coach that would help you online. I ended up doing Noom for about one or two months. I did lose about five pounds. I felt that it was good, but it did take a lot of time. So I decided I didn't want to spend the money and the time to be checking that every day when I know that it's all inside of me. Everything you need is inside you. And so I realized that. I also do stretch classes once a week, and that is part of my mental diet. I really enjoy the stretch classes. When I come out of the classes, my voice will be an octave lower because I'm so
1: relaxed. sound like Mr. Spock.
0: That's right. The other thing I do in terms of taking care of me and my self-confidence and being healthy is I really try to connect with those I love often. I try to talk to my daughters at least once a week and I try to connect with Scott. Well, Scott and I, we connect At every least once day. a week.
1: Yeah, we, we try and talk at least once a week.
0: We do connect every day. That is what has helped me.
1: So we just want to reiterate, guys, the idea of this is that we're showing you through our process and our story and our challenges and hopefully you can glean some information that'll help you guys or give you a little bit of motivation or understand that we are going through the same thing as you guys. Exercise for me has always been a huge component in any sort of diet or just general health. I played a lot of sports when I was a kid and I just kept moving that forward. It started making me think the other day that as a kid, like, I mean, small kid, this is before we got into sports, but you're just running and going all day long. You're basically in the middle of exercise all day long. And then there's a point as an adult, you get into a job and you just stop it. You go from full, on exercising all the time to not exercising at all. And that is a huge problem. I make it for myself right now, number one priority in my life to exercise every single day.
0: I'm not your number one priority.
1: Yeah, I mean, what was I? I mean, number one after Carol, that's obviously understood. It's like Carol, and then way, way, way down, exercise. Obviously, so I rotate through. One day I'll go for a swim, then I'll go for a fifteen-mile bike ride, then I'll go for an hour hike, and then the fourth and final day I'll go to the gym, and I just keep rotating through that. But I'm also well aware that stuff happens where it's out of your control, or you just need a day off, and I'm good with that. I just just take the day off, know that I'll pick it up the next day. My big thing is some exercise is better than none. Carol spoke earlier about portion size. I had a big problem with that because I had it in my head just to eat as much as I could whenever I sat down for a meal, fill myself right up. And I started to experiment with that. And one of the ways I started to experiment was I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have a big glass of water. That would be my breakfast. So I just cut breakfast out altogether and I wouldn't eat until after 12 noon. Get up, have my glass of water, go exercise, then come home and have a salad. And it's been a huge, huge, hugely beneficial to me and my weight loss. Loss process.
0: Isn't that called intermittent fasting? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that that was important for you for a while.
1: It is, absolutely. Intermittent fasting is really popular right now. The way I looked at it was I started to explore it. And if you look at animals, we're the only creature on the planet that eats all the time, whether it's through drive throughs or 24 hours or getting up in the middle of the night to have a glass of milk and some cookies. Animals don't eat like that. They'll eat a big meal or they'll eat a meal and then it might be hours days until they eat again. So I started thinking about that and wondering to myself how I could make that happen in my life. I went with the intermittent fasting, and I don't eat after 8 o'clock at night. So my window that I eat is between 12 noon and 8 p.m. Because I was getting into a bad habit. Once again, it was the routine and habit of life of just eating anytime I felt like before I went to bed, and I don't do that. Which brings me to my next point. I found in my travels and in my research and just my overall thinking during my hikes, we as human beings... We start out as young kids, and then we get into our teenage lives, and our whole pursuit is get to the point of comfort. Everything surrounds comfort. Get yourself to 100% comfort. And what I mean by that is we ascribe to having a bigger, more comfortable chair at home. We have a comfortable car. We have air conditioning. We have everything that makes us comfortable. And in that, I think it makes us lazy. It makes us too comfortable. And what I mean by that, Carol and I were out walking this morning, and she was asking me, was I hungry? And I said, yeah, I'm really hungry. But what I've learned in this process is to get comfortable with the uncomfortable because I have a goal that I'm reaching towards. And it's okay to be uncomfortable, where in the past, I put a lot of focus on, hey, if I'm uncomfortable, I got to get some food and fill myself up.
0: Yeah, when I did that sugar diet, I also learn to be learn to be comfortable with being hungry after having cut my uh, food down, I would have a snack would be 11 almonds or a snack would be uh, carrot sticks with uh, cheese. I realized that over time that I learned to be, I realized over time that my stomach was shrinking and that I was actually not having to eat as much. And that was something I became used to and comfortable with after time.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing that surprised me is how much you can actually work out when you're hungry. I'm a big fan of SEAL Team on CBS, as many of you guys know. One of the components of a little bit of research I've done on SEAL Teams is they have this thing where you can actually go 40% farther than you think you can. So I started to explore that in the sense that I'd get up in the morning, have my glass of water, and then go work out. Because in the past, I was thinking, oh, I got to go fill up my stomach and have all this fuel so I can work out. But I found that that is not the case. My thing is to build a system over time. Time, guys, is your strongest ally. You've got to experiment a little bit yourself and find what works for you and be kind to yourself because it's very easy to beat up on yourself where I got off my diet or I got, the thing to know is I know for sure I will get off this diet or get off this path or get off this lifestyle, but I'm fine with that because I know that I'll get back on it. That's just how it goes. I don't beat myself up if I get a little off my path just because I know I'm getting right back onto it. There's also a thing that I did was I realized that I reward myself a lot with food and drink. So if I did something, whether it was a little bit of work or whatever it was, broke through on a goal I was trying to accomplish, I would go celebrate with some food. I'd run inside, make myself a sandwich. And at the end of the day... You're making a lot of extra food for these little rewards that you're doing. Now I'm trying to find alternatives, and I know it's going to be different for each and every person, but I found that finding different ways to reward yourself actually pays off in the long run. And remember when you're going through this process, if you're just focusing on a single diet, it's not forever. It's for a finite period of time. Once you get to a weight that you're happy with, then you just sustain it from there and move forward. Be ferocious about your routine but realize you will fall off the routine. I just spoke to that a little bit earlier. Two steps forward, one step back is still moving forward. Be kind to yourself, guys, and say, I love you. I love you, meaning you're loving yourself. Oh, okay. Self-love is such a huge component to having a good self-image good self-esteem, and just overall feeling good about yourself. And I know it's weird to stand in front of the mirror or while you're waiting at the light to tilt the rear view mirror down, look at yourself in the eyes and say, I, I love, love you. you. Are we at the end of the show, Carol?
0: Call with your questions that are burning a hole in your pocket or in your soul. Our This Is You question hotline is 562-291-6037. Again, 562 291 six zero three seven our home base is www.thisisyou.com spelled t h i s i s y u our instagram is at this is you t h i s i s y u o f f i c i a l and we have a vip facebook group go to facebook and search this is you Remember, you spelled Y-U. This is you, VIP community. See you there.
1: Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you get a chance, go on Apple Podcasts and give us a little thumbs up. Give us a show us a little bit of love on there. Show us that you care. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you.